0: Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are right now in the world listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now this is a series of in-depth chats between myself and some of Swimming Australia and Queensland Swimming's best coaches to get an insight into what makes these mentors and motivators so good at what they do and what's led them to the top of our sport. Hopefully, their stories and philosophies resonate with you, and we can all walk away from these discussions with a little bit more clarity when it comes to the road to success as a swimming coach at any level.
1: Save your mind.
0: Away they go. No problems with the start. There is
1: two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Ford battling about down the pool. Four
0: But the signature of all time is the great Ben and Butterfly. Susie O'Neill, that is coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Shepish in the white hats, not in the black hats. And not to Spalding. I cannot believe he's done that. Bolton, club, Bolton Hall, Bolton Gardens, a Joining us today on the show is a man widely regarded as one of the sharpest minds in our business across the world of swimming and not just here in Australia. He is a coach that has seen success at every level, including the pinnacle at the Olympic Games and we're extremely fortunate. He's given up his time today to talk to us about all things 100 metre freestyle. It's a very big welcome to Brant Best. Brant, how you going, mate? Well, I'm well, Robbie. How are you doing? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. As I said to you just before, the coffees are kicking in and uh, I've been really sure. excited to, to sit and uh, just listen to you talk about sprint freestyle, mate. I've been fortunate enough to uh, learn a bit from you over the last few years. So very excited today to learn a little bit more. What about yourself? What have you been up to today? Uh,
1: mate, I have been just, uh, a lot of what I've been doing today has been preparing for for this, I've, uh, it's a busy time at the moment for us. As much as everyone's sort of coming out of lockdown, we are really just supporting the coaches in the meantime. And we've had plenty of coaches that want to learn a lot while they aren't um, actually physically at the pool. They've got more time to do it themselves. So that's the uh, that's the core of our job. So it's been a really busy time, but but pretty exciting for us. Mate, what about
0: everyone slowly starting to get back into the pool now? Have you done much around you know, helping coaches and athletes get back in and, and plan around that?
1: Absolutely. A lot of what we're doing is, um, is around that. It's going to be easy to get back in and, and, and smash it up to try to catch up on what you've missed. But there are some real opportunities in going into the pool with, with kids that are a little bit more rested. They're mentally fresh. They've had a bit of sleep. And they've also grown a lot. And uh, with that growth, is going to going to be kids that don't quite know how to move because they've been out of the water for a while, mm. and uh, also the opportunity while we aren't smashing them up to um, to really get them technically the way we want them to be, and with the training standards and, and structures probably different from what we had before, to, to make sure that we, we sort of make the most of the opportunities that that we've got. So. Sort almost rebuilding or or clean, clearing a slate a lot with a few coaches and saying you know starting again with their with their structures off of um of what they learned of their kids so uh, yeah it's made it's very very interesting time.
0: Mate, it's easier said than done though at times, isn't it? I mean, so many of us get stuck in our in our ways. I know for myself, you know, sitting with you at times is 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 brilliant because I have to sort of throw away some things that I thought I knew and, and start trying to learn it a different way. Has it been easy, you know, talking to the coaches and almost looking at things from a different perspective?
1: It is easier because they're not stuck in the day-to-day. They're not worried about what is going to be happening this afternoon and what happened this morning. And their development brain, if you like, is not is compromised by the swimmers. And, I mean, we're there for the swimmers, so compromise may not be the right word. Mm. But we're there the swimmers normally, when they're not around, we can really focus on what we can do to be better as coaches.
0: Now, mate, obviously, we, we could sit here and chat all day about lots of different things, but we have been tasked to talk about the 100-metre freestyle. I want to first start by, you know, just getting to know you a little bit more for the listeners out there and, and how you got started. Now, obviously, everyone knows you as the Olympic medalist coach and world championship coach of, of James Magnussen, but you've had success at, at every level, whether that be international, you know, national, how did coaching start for you though how did how did you get involved in it
1: well right back at the beginning mate I um, well I was a swimmer and not a very good one because I sink like a stone <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't very talented and I was a first kid with uh, who wasn't it wasn't tough enough to probably to deal with the sport so that's not a great combination yeah. for uh, swimming success <laughs> yeah um, I was the guy at the back of the at the back of the lane try to keep up and probably honestly swimming more because my sisters were swimming than, than I was um so i swam i enjoyed it though they, they, were, they were the friends that i've still got sort of in life a lot of my old friends are still my swimming friends mm. and i enjoyed the environment i went to uni i did teaching they decided at uni that um we didn't have enough love experience to go into a classroom so we had to go back in the world and find some i turned up at my local swimming club and said can i give you a hand and um he um he said yep no worries and i uh, i joined up loved it more than i loved being in the classroom and uh, that was the beginning of the story,
0: mate. Obviously, you've gone on, as I said, to, to have the career you've had. But so many of us, from myself included, you know, it's you as as one of the mentors I go to at times to to pick your brain and and ask questions from. For yourself, though, what sort of mentors did you have, you know, coming through?
1: So for me, um, my mentors were critical. I think it's probably why I love the job that I'm doing at the moment so much because. I, I wouldn't have been where I was without the mentors I had along the way. Probably my first significant one was Bernie Wakefield. I, I coached with, or um, well, under Bernie, had the Acacia program for four years in the late 90s. Uh, he really helped me build a, an in- innovative coaching style, mm. he was a, a bit of a game changer as far as speed goes. Uh, his swimmers would go at, get that far in front of a lot of swimmers that no matter what their back end was, no one could catch them.. Yeah. Uh, so he was an innovator there. Uh, following that, I, I worked with um, I had Scott Volkers to work with all the way through my time in Queensland. I uh, then went and worked after uh, I think six or seven years as a head coach went and worked under Stefan Vidmer for two years at the QAS. Uh, that was really handy from there. I went to Sydney, where I, I went initially to Macquarie University, where Jim Fowley brought me down to New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Jim was brilliant. I then got to work with um after that work with Brian Sutton, Sutton, who is a uh, absolute genius as well. So I was uh, very, very fortunate to be uh, working with some fantastic people, and uh, and you know I wouldn't be where I was without what I learned from those guys.
0: Mate, what was it about coaching that was, you know, so rewarding for you? And obviously, you, you know, you were interested in, the, in, you know, giving back to the kids and, and educating because obviously you said you want to get into teaching as well. But, you know, what was the most rewarding thing for you about coaching?
1: That's a really good question. And I, and I think that potentially that answer has changed over the years. But uh, uh, really driving me is the, is that you get kids that come to you and they have a dream or they have a goal, and you are able to help them with that goal. And basically, it's a reward for effort. They put in the effort, and uh, you're able to show them that with that effort, they get a reward. Which for me is as much a life lesson as it is anything. Mm. But uh, just that—that that it's almost transactional. Um, but but it's a whole lot deeper than that. That the, you know they, they put in and they get back from you. But that's that's kind of a, I spend a lot of time thinking of that of that. Um, on that question mate. and the other one another answer I really came up with on on that was and I've been asked that a lot and I love the idea that as a coach you come can get confronted with a with a problem and it's like a puzzle mm. and you've got to do your best to seek a solution and you guess and you use your guard and you use education and you you seek people out and then you find a way to make that puzzle and you put it together and you make it work and that personally it's It's really rewarding to be able to, I mean we're we're all driven by competence in being better at things. You know, to be, so to be able to grab grab that, put your pieces together and, and 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 make it work. as well as rewarding a kid and showing them that their effort is is justified, that that really drives me. It's about making a difference.
0: Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Mate, you've had success with a lot of events and and strokes and and I think most people know you as as a sprint coach, but you've had success in in fly, medley, distance freestyle. Was that more about, you know, the athletes you had in the program at the time or or were these events and, and strokes that you were passionate about? I, I think you know. Just want to touch on obviously, you know, Jess Ashwood. You know, was the first open Australian record that that you coached, and and that was in the eight hundred freestyle. So, mm. you know, how does that come about?
1: I, it's a uh, it's it's a really good segue question from the last one in basically working out where the athlete in front of you and work out how to make them better. Mm. I didn't know a lot about distance swimming when I started with Jess. A lot of my stuff was built on um, on sprint work. I think my first Australian team member was Ash Callis. And uh, following that, I worked with Stephen Bidmer, who was known as a sprint coach as well. So um, that was my foundation. So to have someone like, like Jess in the program was to try to work out what, you know, what, was, what I was going to do to make her better, to make things work and work out the components and learn the components of, of distance freestyle that I didn't know about um, physiologically, technically. Uh, and then source people around me who did know a little bit more, and then try to put it all together, and then spend a lot of time one-on-one with Jess, trying to. And she knows this as well. We talked about this a lot, trying mm-hmm. to learn her and learn what made her tick. Uh, and without those, without that, without that sort of almost search for knowledge, we wouldn't have had that success either. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it was more about. It wasn't even about tech. It wasn't even about the event, mate. It was more about the athlete that I had in front of me because you can have the same event and act to a different athlete with two different problems. Mm. So it's about problem solving around the athlete you've got in front of you.
0: Mate mentioned there, obviously, um, you know, that was sort of a, a different feel for you going into, to training and, and, and racing the 800 for Jess, for yourself as a coach, you know, who did you seek out around that time and how, how did you start to, you know, I guess, just pick a little bit of knowledge out from, from around the people you were, you were with at the time.
1: Yeah, well, I was really lucky at the time to be um, working. Jim Fowley was in charge of New South Wales swimming um, as far as coaching goes. And so he he's brilliant with his physiological mind. And I was also very lucky to be working with um, Brian Sutton, who was a very, very good female distance coach and um, and, and learned a hell of a lot, uh, well, on the physiological, but also on the practical side and the mental side of, of dealing with those sort of swimmers. So I was immersed in, and had those people to go with. Besides the fact that I was at N-Swiss and I could go to any coach at any sport mm. and talk about what it took to make their guys, to put those guys together. Also, I mean, she's, as many people as I could to go to, I had a great um, physiotherapist and a guy called David Pugh mm-hmm. who uh, helped me straighten up a, a back that probably resembled more of the, more like a question mark than a spine for <laughs> yep. Jess at that stage yeah. and helped to, helped to line that up. And, and we would work sort of one-on-one on a weekly basis and have, have weekly meetings about our athletes and how to make them move better. So across the board, uh, I was relying on a whole bunch of other brains to uh, help put my athletes together. So, um, yeah, it was there were, there were a few different components of it.
0: And how key is that to success, do you think, um, you know, just given in, in any event, in any stroke, probably in any sport really, is making sure that, you know, you've got the right people around you and that you're constantly asking questions and not just sitting in your own little bubble thinking, well, I've got the answers.
1: Well, it's it's as important as anything. Uh, someone asked me the day if I put together a team, what are the key components? Uh, number one is having a mentor because you can get stuck in your own head and your thoughts go around in your head and it's very hard to solve them unless you can verbalise the problem and have someone else give it a give a perspective. Yeah. So doing it by yourself is very difficult. So I, I think it's as key as anything in, in having mentors or just people you can throw ideas around at. I, 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 uh, again, that's why I love my job, but it's it's why I've um it's why I think I've, if I've achieved any success it's
0: why I have mate now today's session is is on the 100 freestyle and you're known for this event you know from your success with with James and everyone sees the amazing achievements of these two world champs gold at the panpax com games but what they don't see is obviously the years of development that lead to that success what do you believe are, are the fundamentals required to make a world class
1: sprinter mate um I think most people expect, and I expected myself to go to physiology initially on this, but mm. um, but really, I think for me, it's about it, it's about a really com- a competitive drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's having a, a, t- a the right temperament to be able to have that drive, but be able to have a level of control as, re- as well around that. You, uh, I mean, we we watch some of the best sprinting runners in the world, and once they get past. Well, even Bolt doesn't completely sprint 100 metres. He, he takes a while to wind up and then accelerates, and some of the best guys do. Mm. So you get up to 200 and 400, those guys really aren't – for me, they aren't sprinters. Mm. You know, we take a 400-metre guy on the track who's doing 42, 43 seconds. They don't call him a sprinter. they guys go for 47, we call them a sprinter. And I don't mm. think a lot of our 100-metre races is actually a sprint. I think it's a bit of a misnomer. Mm. Um, someone like James is, is is probably, I think, four or five out of 10 – um, lightness in the first 25 of, of 100. Definitely when he went uh, when he went 47-1. So it, it was that ability to control that competitive drive, have it, use it as a weapon, but know when to control, know when to keep in your pocket and, and bring it out as well. So it's very much a mental thing first for me because if you don't get the mental stuff right, the technical and the physiology don't uh, really don't count because if you don't get the mental right, you can't get your race right. If you can't get your race right, it's, it's you're doing, you're spending a whole year to swim forty-seven seconds fast. Mm. So for me, mental is first. Um, James was a little bit unique. Um, he had that spark. He was intelligent and ha- and was analytical too, which helped. But I don't think it's essential for a sprinter. But if we're talking about if we're talking about James specifically, that's something that I think w- helped him. Mm. I think they have to be be smart technically, not over smart. I don't want think we need to be over thing, but they have to have an appreciation that. Speed is not just physiology. You can get more speed by dialing back your physiology and having more control. Uh, I did a talk recently on Caleb Dressel, and between uh, between Olympics, he uh, he had a 14-centimetre per stroke increase, which is ridiculously Mm. (laughs) high. But his stroke rate dropped by 5.3 average across the race. Mm. And when we're talking about speed as speed, speed for him was increasing his stroke length increasing his control and balancing his race out better he didn't he didn't go towards harder um fast as far as i'm concerned sort of speed training he went to look at what was restricting him and where he was getting beaten and then addressed it so um so speed from technique um and control and decreasing drag and increasing propulsion all the things that we we talk about as basics are super important for sprinters they just happen at a at a higher rate obviously Mm. physiology is very important and you have to do good speed work you have to do quality speed work um you have you know you have to give them a capacity to adapt to that speed work and i I think that what is missed because we have sprinters that are so keen and they do just want to go fast is the aerobic work that needs to be done in between um your sprint bouts to allow them to be more repeatable Mm. so mate it's a multifaceted bit of gear (laughs) um and then and that's a long answer to a short question, but uh, but that they're they're the components for me that, that that are super important.
0: I'm interested just in the aspect of of the mental side of it that you touched on, and I'm fortunate enough, um, you know, through my own podcast off the blocks that I, I get to talk to a lot of sprinters, and probably one thing that I've I've gauged from a lot of the boys. I spoke to you know James Roberts the other day, and I've spoken to Ash Callis and um a a few others is is you know there's a fair bit of bravado and you know shoulders back chest out and uh, holding themselves fairly confidently when they're you know around pool deck is that something that you think is really important for sprinters and is it the same for females and males
1: i don't think it's the same um i think that absolute belief is super important um in in your own ability your ability to do the job and you know to believe you, you you're one of the boys. Um, I mean, the, the term alpha male was thrown around at the time, and it was given a lot of bad publicity. But that uh, archetype of or that that uh, the way that they see themselves, I think, is important. That with, with that absolute belief that they can stand up there with the big boys, because I've seen guys that don't believe that, mm. and they have the ability, and they do train really well. But uh, geez, I've seen some some guys that were very talented as believe they had to put on muscle and get really big so that they could feel good behind the blocks. Mm. Uh, Even if it decreased their swimming ability, to increase their belief in themselves. So I think that it's super, super important. Uh, I think there's a a, quite a bit of it's ingrained, um, but I think there's a bit bit that's teachable as well. Um, With girls, I think that there's uh, with all swimmers, I think there's got to be a belief because the swimmer that believes behind the blocks versus the swimmer that doesn't, the swimmer that believes is always going to have a do a better job. They're going to be able to focus on themselves. They're not going to be distracted. Uh, they're going to have confidence in the task that they're doing and trust themselves, and then back that up in training. So, I think that that confidence be- and belief is 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 critical, and 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 you know that that's your job as a coach to instil that in your athletes, and if they don't have that, to find a way for them to get it, mm. um, or or build that within your training program. So, yeah, mate, I, I think it's I think it's common, but I think it's 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 massively big. In, in the big boys,
0: absolutely. Now, wait, What should junior coaches be doing with the young athletes to to help develop sprinters, or should they be trying that
1: at a young age? I, I don't think they should be specialising, Robbie. Uh, I think they did, did got to appreciate the sprinter for what they are. I mean that they, they they can be a different character. Mm-hmm. I'd say definitely work with that character. Uh, don't allow them to be disruptive, but still allow them to be themselves and. Because uh, they can be a, a fun group to coach, even if they haven't got the attention span of, of everybody else in the group. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, and just because they don't fit into your model of what you want out of your specific coaching group, it doesn't mean that who they are isn't valuable. It doesn't mean that they've got less talent. I had to have that uh, talk with myself, I think, pretty early that, that just because they weren't in my specific type that I, I couldn't ignore them, I couldn't dismiss them or... You know, just because I didn't fit in with, with what I like to do, um, which is a, in reflection, um, uh, something that I I'd be mentioning to my coaches as well. Mm. You know, we have a certain type of learning on the way we, we like to hear things, and, and the way that we like to see the world. And you know, being being the sprinting male is is all is, isn't definitely isn't trending. Um, mm. you know, it, it's it's a confidence, it's a bravado, it is the things you were talking about before. And it is part of who they are and and it it is what makes them fast. It is what makes them want to push off the wall before everybody else. And, you know, it it is the thing that makes them finish a race. And with 10 metres to go, that little bit of crazy that helps them get to the wall before the next person, we're here to – we're definitely here to make great people, but we're absolutely here to make people faster as well. So, um, yeah, it's about working with the character. Um, It's about – because you know, if you know where they're going to be, you've got to counter that a little bit and work on them with technique and let them show that the technique is important to their speed. Because mm-hmm. most of them are so driven to win, you need to allow them to see that technique is part of getting them them to win, not just that, not just going crazy. Um, I'd say also with all their character, all their 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 fire to win, it, it's easy to make them love it and it's easy to make them hate the sport yeah. by driving them into too much work, yeah. but allow them to have some speed, allow them to enjoy what they've got. Definitely challenge them and don't pander to them, um, but don't overdo it to the point where you break them.
0: Mate, you touched on technique there. What's more important at a, at a youth level, developing capacities or technique? I mean, for me, I, I'm,
1: I'm technique all the time. Mm. I, um, I For me, it's, we talked about dressing before, 14 centimetres a stroke, if you're doing... And he would have been doing around about 70 strokes in that race. 70 by by 14 centimeters is, is my maths aren't fantastic, Neither but are I'm going to say that's I'm 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 going to say that's pretty close. That's pretty much close to 10 meters of length. Yeah. And 10, 10 meters for those guys is, is massive. So if you can get if you can get your kids technically right, then I think I also believe that your physiology is a byproduct of that anyway. It's not as if if you're not doing good good speed work. A good technique or you're not doing aerobic work a good technique your physiology is still happening your capacities are still happening but if you if you do your capacities without technique then all you have is capacities mm. if you do your technique um at the right at the right speed, the desired speed you get both so for me it's technique first because the capacities are going to happen anyway
0: now i've heard you talk about you creating a structured learning environment for your squads how do you do this with a
1: at a youth level? So I think th- this is super important that you that you get your structure right we We write a program and we as coaches we spend a lot of time building the program and planning and doing this and doing that and revising but if we've got a certain goal for a group of athletes and the structure doesn't support that goal, then I think we're the the ability to be effective with what we do is is definitely diminished. Yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got to, if, if you want to get good one-on-one work, you've got to be able to set it up so that you can split your group into into three lanes and maybe work with four to six athletes at, at a time to get your point across. You've got to make sure that your athletes, you might pair them off against specific swimmers to make sure you get the best result. You, you, you might structure a program around the way the athletes need to hear stroke length or efficiency or lead your lead into your main set with the things that are going to make the main set work well you can't just expect them to turn up and do it we've got to set them up with the right structure not only with the program but with the way that we structure our lanes and our environment you can't have your juniors in with your seniors because you can't structure your senior program to, to to get the best out of those guys and you definitely can't call it a high performance environment if you've got everybody in together mm. so um for me your structures are based on your goals
0: Mate, you also talk about prioritized learning uh, how does this relate to development of speed and, and sprinting
1: i prioritize learning i, I talk about a lot because um Everything we everything we do is it for me is an opportunity to learn, an opportunity for the athletes to learn. Um, well, and, and probably my best example is is uh, if you've got a sprinter and they knock out a twenty five and you want it to be done at a hundred pace. If that twenty five is done, they're ripping and tearing, and but they do a time that's slightly faster than the one that was good. Plenty of coaches will be telling them that the faster time is the better one. Uh, where you've really got to be watching as a coach and learning and looking and seeing that maybe their speed was great, but the way that they applied themselves was actually going to take them in the wrong direction. So mm. at that point, they've got to learn that, you know, which, which 25 would you put in the front of 100 and what would be your consequences at the back. So that's at the, that's at the end point. That's as close as we get to, to race pace and super important because if they don't learn that lesson there, they'll never learn it. Mm. But that also goes all the way back into uh, if if you want to get stroke length out of a kid, you can't just ask them for stroke length. You need to take them through the process of understanding why. Uh, I, I like to teach my guys a lot about reducing drag mm-hmm. and how and why that works and why that's more important and why that's an easier way to to pick up speed. And then not only talk to them about it, sell them on it, but then put it into a program where you put it into some drills and you show them why it's important. And then you take it into swimming. And then you take it into pace and you sell it into pace and you show them how much easier it is to go faster because they have uh, learned a new way of swimming well. So you've got to be able to sell it. And if you can't sell it, then they're not gonna buy it. They're not gonna repeat it no matter how important it is. So you've got to, you've got to and, and it comes back to the structured learning too, Robbie. If you're structured well enough, you've got the opportunity to learn with your kids They've got the opportunity to learn, but you've got the opportunity to learn from them by actually watching them. Mm. If you're standing in front of 30 kids and they're all doing the same thing and all you're doing is yelling out times, then you don't know why they've done those times and you haven't seen the mistakes that they've made. So you structure well, you watch well, and they learn from your feedback, but you also learn from observing better. So uh, there you go.
0: You mentioned there the art of selling. How important yes. is that as a coach, and and have you seen any um, examples of you know a, a coach perhaps not selling the right way? And I think for me personally, and I know this isn't sprint orientated, but you know probably the best example at times is having a really good distance swimmer who wants to be a sprinter and, and trying to sell them on it. How important is that?
1: if we can't sell, geez, if we can't sell, we don't get we don't get buy-in from the athlete. Yeah. Uh, and then we can't we, – I mean, if we don't have an engaged athlete who believes and trusts in what we're doing, then we can't make a change. Because both both athlete and coach need to be on the same page with a change. Um, and the coach's ability to sell that is, is is everything that we've got in trying to make a change. Mm. Uh, because if you don't start there, you shouldn't even bother. Because the athlete doesn't buy it. They're not going to want to make a change. And then as soon as you turn your back or, you know, you work with another kid, they're, they're not buying in and they're not investing. Hmm. So it's a coach-athlete relationship thing, but it's also a prioritisation with the selling. We've got to be good coaches. And so if we've got to be good coaches. We've got to be good salesmen. It, it, it's a priority for me. There's not many, well, oh even in life, um, if I don't want to buy a product, I'm, I'm going to be hard pushed to, to hand over my cash. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the same with our swimmers. Why would they buy something that they don't believe in? Um, mm. you know? I talk to my athletes as if it's a stock market, and, you know, why would I invest in you? Mm. Um, and, and it works the other way. They could look at us and say, why would I invest in this if I don't believe? And if you can't make me believe, um, then then we've either got to try harder or, or understand that that, that that athlete doesn't want to buy in, uh, and then maybe we've got to move them on. But in most cases, that doesn't need to happen. We've just got to find the right way to sell it the right way for them to hear it and i i think we put energy into that um and sometimes robbie it's intent as well yeah um if, if their motivation is low to make a change um, or is high to make a change i know that we could spend 45 minutes on drills to try to make a change or we could offer we could stand there with a bag of snakes and say <laughs> okay who, f- who fixes this first can get a snake and yeah. all of a sudden we've got a, a bunch of geniuses in front of us just mm-hmm. because the intent changes yeah so, I mean, that, that's a form of salesman and we don't want to be feeding them a lot of snakes because we, we want good fit athletes who don't have a lot of sugar in their body. But, but it, it goes to intent. You know, and if we can provide the right intent and the right, in, the right environment um, that produces that, uh, and most kids will do it off approval, uh, then, then we're going to get better results. At the end of the day, we're just looking for a better result, but it does come down to buy-in. Hey, how much
0: aerobic work... You know, uh, does developing a sprinter need compared to say anaerobic work?
1: Oh, I love that question, uh, I, and I think that it goes back to what we we're talking before that they just want to sprint these guys. Yeah. They just want to go fast, and they want to go fast all the time. But we've got to protect them from themselves, and we've got to have the wisdom to know that when we want them to go fast, they've got to be ready to go fast. If that's where you are in your plan, and that's where we were most of the time in our plan yeah. uh, to allow them to to get. If I have a if I have two sprint programs in a week, they're my focus, and I will do what I need to do to get those guys ready for that. Because if they sprint well, then they're going to race better. Mm. But in the in-between stuff, aerobic work's a big focus. So, geez, um, it, there, there are periods with James where we would we would have five or six fast sessions in a month, mm. and um, everything else was aerobic. Mm-hmm. And he went really quick off the back of those. Not only was aerobic work important for repeatability, but it was important to allow a gap in which to allow your swimmer to go quicker in. Um, but the, the the focus for me on, on the aerobic is about repeatability. If you're not aerobically fit enough, I mean, we're at, at Olympics, we need to be able to produce at minimum three good swims to get a medal. Yep. Um, if you're at an age championships, chances are you've got – four or five swimmers in a week, if you can't repeat, then you can't do the job. If you can't repeat within a week of training because you're not aerobically fit enough, then you compromise your training. If you can't repeat and do three rounds of a good set, then you're compromising your training. So your aerobic ability allows you to continue to back up in all of those circumstances. So for me, aerobic is absolutely vital um, in allowing you to do that and my priorities are my anaerobic stuff, but geez, if I'm not aerobically fit enough, my priority gets diminished.
0: And obviously, that art of selling still comes in with the sprinters, given you know not a lot of sprinters like to to do you know aerobic work or, or more
1: distance. Mate, work. mate, uh, uh, <laughs> no, and no more. In the, it, it's no more better example of how well you've got to sell mm-hmm. um, to a sprinter because they do what just want to go and they just don't want to swim slow. Mm so you've it's a it's it's a little bit like um hiding hiding zucchini and spaghetti bolognese you know you you <laughs> yeah, you love you can so you can sneak your veggies into your into your meal without the kids knowing you're good so um so you can sneak this stuff in call it recovery because yeah. it doesn't need to be done hard the aerobic stuff for the for the big guys i we talk about a1 and a2 and a3 i I'm, I'm more much more believe in a1 and lower a2 and even a0 has become a term which I didn't use but I called it easy aerobic but everything needs a term mm-hmm. um, so now it's a0 <laughs> um, but you call it recovery and you say oh well we're not going to go fast until Friday guys because you know I want to make sure you recovered so you can go fast enough mm-hmm. um, and so I can I can hide as much recovery as I want in there and, um, and and call it that and they think that I'm doing them a favor and it's about the manner in which you sell it um, and, and, when that, and that can be that you're giving them um, – you might be doing four rounds, and instead of giving them five minutes between each, you give them 12 minutes between each round. And that, that 12 minutes, instead of doing 200 easy, you've done 600 easy or 600 aerobically, Then, and you do four rounds of that, you, you've, you've got 2.4K of aerobic work. So mm. it, it's it's an element you've got to consider in, in your work. But But to your point, you've got to be able to sell that and sell that repeatability to them and why it's important. You can't just expect them to know because they don't know and we do. Mm. So um, it, it's super, super important, mate. So keeping them as part of the journey, we don't want to over-inform them because at the, at the end of the day, most of these guys are racing beasts mm-hmm. and we need them in a flow state. And if you're processing too much information, you don't flow and then you don't race well and then and then you over-analyse and then you overthink and then when you overthink you, you you get yourself trapped in in you know overanalyzing Do you go it's a it's an it's a increasingly descending circle and you end up down the rabbit hole so far that you it, you you're stuck
0: yeah mate what would a week of training uh, for an intermediate swimmer, say 15 16 years
1: old say male
0: how, how would you structure yep. a macro cycle?
1: So it the, the 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 week for me looks um, very similar to what we just talked about uh, my priority for those guys may be a monday and a friday afternoon mm-hmm. so uh, i would go if i'm going some quality work which for me my definition of quality is race pace yeah. so we may go race pace on monday afternoon race pace on friday my, my whole week then structures around that so my monday morning will be about setting up we'll do some aerobic work to wake them up we'll get some field stuff going we'll do some sculling some drills be aerobic but not aerobic to the point where we break down their afternoon mm-hmm. and then we spike up the speed for the afternoon we then build the speed into the afternoon and then we go into a, a tuesday where we're light aerobic to help us to recover a little bit of harness and technique work and maybe some video work um and 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 a, and, and a good light aerobic well, wednesday is solidly aerobic and probably what you would call an aerobic over distance uh and a lot of that would be can be with fins on because some of the big guys sink like a stone Mm -hmm. and um i like the idea that if we've got fins or we've got a pool boy they don't have to work hard and almost work harder aerobically to keep themselves up yeah so if they can cruise along on top of the water um and, and float or be assisted with fins for our over distance we're not, we're not going – because they don't swim the same that they do slow as they do fast, and some of the girls can, but I don't believe a lot of the boys can because they're sitting up so much higher and they produce so much force that I don't think – they can They can swim well going slow, and I have my non-negotiables, but I think it's quite different from the speed work. So uh, we've got to find a way where they can produce those non-negotiables um, of, of, of smooth swimming, of good head position, of, of good impulse length, but do it so they don't have to put a lot of energy into it, which is very, very hard, which is why I like using pull buoy and paddles and, and uh, well, not together with fins, but, but fins as well in that, what, what I would probably call an over-distance, but definitely not uh, – not, well, not, not always not boring because you have to have a bit of it, yeah. but, uh, but avoiding dreadfully boring 10, 400s we never, ever did. But we still get through 4.5K sets. Yeah. And, and then when we go into Thursday – um they may be a little bit tired from the aerobic work but if i've done it properly they're not i start to spike their speed up again on thursday or, or we do a little te- bit of technique work leading in or whatever i feel like we're missing in the week and um and spike their speed then um then maybe friday morning we go fast again mm-hmm. saturday morning uh we'd um would belt them up a little bit with with some really good leg work um which i like to do after my quality sets and also um, something that you know Sutter was very very big on was just beat them up with their legs on a Saturday morning. So, I uh, I, I like that and I've kept that as well. And, and Steph also was very very big um, on on bringing in legs following a, a main set, and that's something as well that I've that I've kept as something that's, that's absolutely crucial because we when they run out of juice. Um, they don't run out of legs if you train it in mm. as badly
0: how much work is is at full speed uh, and, and at what phase do you implement or prioritize you know
1: full speed that's i i really love that question because i i don't feel like i did barely anything at full speed <laughs> <laughs> um I, I felt that it, it took away we did a little bit when we were having fun we did we did a little bit um but Full speed for me. I, I like again, it's stealing from all the people that I, that I work with. But Stefan used the term top end speed, and I like that better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even think for me, if you get a if you get a very good sprinter, if they go to full speed, you you're definitely going to get some improvement in the ability to turn over. But the things that you're taking away when they're going at full speed, they swim with tension. Mm-hmm which you don't want. Uh, they don't swim as technically well, which you don't want. They don't get the same neuromuscular adaptations because it's not the same stroke that they'd race with because we don't race at full speed, even at 50 for me. It's 21, 22 seconds of work if you're going really well. And again, there's not many people that can absolutely go crazy flat out for that much time. Maybe if you can't produce any lactate and you're a yeah, Jez Ashwood, you've got to go flat out for 50 metres. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I mean, James's race plan was to control to the 25 and then go. Mm. Uh, and I've seen lots of sprinters die at 35 metres, and the best of them, I, I feel, have a little bit of control early and a little bit of softness early. So the de- is the detraining training worth, worth that? For me, it, it wasn't um, because it, it's too easy for you to go, these guys to go to muscle anyway, mm. let alone to specifically train to, to let go of that. So I didn't love going to top speed. And if it, if it was, it may be with fins to help hold them up. Uh, I like to do a, a little bit of, of that maybe with a, a harness assisted work. Um, but I didn't, mate, I didn't do a lot at, at absolute full speed as it was just because I felt that our, our main gains were our specific race is race that, rates.
0: Yeah. Is, is that a matter of, you know, looking where
1: the best bang for your buck? It it's, it absolutely is, mate. It's it's knowing where your problems are, and, and again, it's knowing where your problems are and solving those problems as well as you can. If your problem is your kid grips the grips the water and, and you know and, and comes up to too much speed when they're rested, well, they're going to come up to speed anyway when they're rested. But you amplifying the problem, making it worse, and making it more familiar for them to grip and rip, that's not going to help them. Mm. You know, and and for me, I, I've had to sort of pull the, pull my stuff apart and to teach it to other people. I think that if I did it now, I might do it with speed drills rather than actual speed to get that turnover and activation. We did a bit of speed work with our head up in polo with, with Finn, so we did a little bit of that, and I would be tempted to do it. James didn't mind butterfly, but you know he may argue with me, but he was never great at it. He was always okay at it. We might do some butterfly sprints so I don't deep pattern the freestyle that, that was the, – the technical stuff was super, super critical to, to him going well. And for what it's worth, it, you know, a, a pretty nifty 21.550 as well. You know, and, and you know, some, someone was asking me about this the other day, but I think Dressel dives at 5.1, maybe 5.0, oh, and James at that point was diving a 5.6. Mm. So um, if you look at a, a 0.6 difference in start time, um, that puts his 21.5 down around 21.0, and the swimming speed to, to him and, and Dressel aren't too different than 50. Uh, and that was without going to top speed. So um, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that it works, um, but that's that's your big male sprinters, and I think that if getting back to your question before about females, I, I think the females need to do uh, more top end top end speed work than um, than our males do because our males are instantly will become fresh and fast and and bring it on themselves. Unless you've got a girl that that over muscles, then you've got to teach them how to go fast well without muscling. Mm. So I think yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how do you keep the balance of, say, a max effort or speed whilst keeping, you know, maximum efficiency?
1: I think they're two different things. Um, I think that you, if you're going to go for max speed, you got to be prepared to compromise. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to compromise. That's why I didn't do it. So I, I probably sat in the middle there somewhere where I was after great speed, but not at the compromise of if, if 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 James is diving was diving a 10.8 a with 100 rate at 48, and then he pumped it up to 51 and then looked ugly and went 10.6. I'd ask for a repeat of the 10.8, or I'd ask for the 10.8 or the 10.7 with the control that I had um, at 10.8. I'd ask for a bit more speed and find a common ground. Mm. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't be asking them to, to excessively continue to compromise the execution that I want. Um, to give me a fast time on my watch. I I don't know that there's any skill that we would ever build where we we get better by doing it worse and repeat and and then reinforce it as a coach and tell them how wonderful they are. (laughs) Uh, And and then to answer the second part of that question, um, how do we get, uh, for me, I I start with a session, even if it's a quality session, I'll start a session with some efficiency drills with a purpose. And if it is about lowering drag, it'll be about lowering drag at a low speed and then we're, we could set up at, at, at maybe PB plus 8 down to 200 pace and keep that low drag and keep that profile and then tag that, take that that profile into some between 200 pace to 100 pace and then finish the warm-up with some 25s or maybe a 50 at 100 pace but looking for the same drag profile. So we're taking the learning you're talking about earlier into the efficiency and then, and then taking it down steps so we're, presenting them with a challenge and then seeing how fast they can they can go overcoming that challenge if it's if it's drag if it's propulsion um if it's rhythm we're we're looking at at being efficient while we're being fast but we've got to provide a structure within our program to allow that to happen again not allow that to happen by accident because you know it it, the quality sets are the closer we get to racing and the better we do them the better we race Mm. we have to optimally um prepare them for a main set like we optimally optimally prepare them for a race
0: yeah
1: we wouldn't get in there and say oh yeah go go 800 meters of this and 400 meters of that no okay you got a race now Mm. my 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 approach to preparing them for a main was a little bit like my approach to preparing them for a race
0: mate you've you've led me straight to a a question there in talking of of drag and and propulsion and you talk a lot about there being two factors to improve speed in length and rate and that there are only two ways to do it by decreasing drag and increasing propulsion how do you monitor both and how do you develop both
1: okay so just 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 to clarify your point there mate i i i do talk about that a lot and Apologies to anyone who's heard me talk because I, I, do, I do rabbit on about <laughs> length and, and rate being but, but the main thing. But I really believe, I mean, in swimming speed, if you look at an analysis, if you don't improve your length or you don't improve your rate, then you can't go faster.
0: Mm.
1: And the only reason anyone is faster than anybody else is that either they're better at length or they're better at rate or they're better at both. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I like to talk to even juniors from a Know, I say, well, you know, the only reason someone's fast is they've either got a longer stroke or they've got a faster stroke, mm-hmm. um, and, and normally it's a combination of both. So that's where my focus is, and that's where my focus is in training. Now, the only way for me to increase length is by decreasing drag or increasing propulsion. Mm-hmm. So I'm been working on drills that are going to do a combination, or or both of those, or work out whether it is their body position. Or the, the drag forces that are holding them back, that are making them slower, or whether they're slipping or losing propulsion um, to, a, to a certain part of the stroke, and, and there's a million ways that they can they can do both of those. But it's the coaches and getting back to your point from way earlier on with structure. If you don't watch and you can't see and you can't intervene because your structure isn't right, then you can't make those changes. Yeah. So for me, that structure becomes really important in that, but also having the athlete understand that okay. You're, you're lifting your head here and then you're dropping it down and that's costing you time. And as much as you love to, you know, you love that have that feeling of being aggressive and lifting your head, but that tension and that head lift is costing you drag and here's what it looks like on video and here's what your opponent looks like and, you know, if it's not 14 centimetres per stroke, it's two centimetres per stroke. But that two centimetres per stroke is, I don't know, across 80 strokes and 100 is, is 100, 160 centimetres and you're losing by a metre. um then your drag is holding you back from being the best swimmer you can be. So we get them understanding that, again, getting back to selling that, mm-hmm. and then we've developed drills around trying to fix that. And I say we, because I'll, I'll often present them with a problem and say, okay, I want you to find a drill to fix that, rather than for me to give them uh, just a drill that you know may fix it or may not, but they're not bought in. <laughs>